0: Welcome to Venture Unscripted, a podcast where we talk with founders and entrepreneurs about their journey from zero to one. Hi, welcome to another episode of Venture Unscripted. Today, I've got with me Tom Koch. So he is the entrepreneur in residence at Grand Valley State University and the CEO of RC Gems, and he's worked on a lot of different ventures. So I'm pleased to have a conversation with him today. So welcome, Tom.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, today Tom and I talked and he's got quite a, quite a past of all these different ventures he's worked on. So I'm sure Tom, you could go into hours of conversation on each of them, but we're, we're going to try and hone our conversation in onto, let's talk about varsity gems. So love to know a little bit more about you and how you kind of got going with varsity gems and how that all came
1: about. Sure. So I've been working at Grand Valley since last, last September. It's a part time role, entrepreneur in residence where basically I run the university student accelerator program. And that keeps me close to the cohort of younger folks. I also have a son who's a junior in college. And a little bit about my son, um, he's a six foot three inch black kid. He's a conference champion high jumper in the Horizon League, which is a division one conference uh, and actually just qualified for NCAA regionals. And there's a new thing in the NCAA called name, image and likeness. And about a year ago that passed, it was July 1 of 2021, that became legal where student athletes can now make money for their actual name, image, and likeness, whereas before they couldn't get paid. So that means anything from signing endorsement deals to selling products to running camps and clinics to having their own clothing line, all sorts of things under the sun. And Alex came to me, approached me and said, I really want to know more about this because I think I'm in a position to actually make some money. I think I can run some clinics and things like that. So I set out to be somewhat of an expert in NIL as much as you could. Under the radar, there were a lot of people that if you're on LinkedIn, you can see them that really dove into the marketplace and got went out out of their way to be ahead of the game in NIL. So I've talked to Athletic directors, student athletes. I know a bunch of kids that I used to coach in basketball. I was a former college athlete. I played football back when in my day and just talked to guys I knew that were playing sports, involved in sports, and had a sense of what was going on with this and had a number of conversations with different companies in the space as well, most notably Playbooked, which is based here in Grand Rapids. And they're an app that connects athletes with brands for endorsement deals. And while this is all going on, one day I was out at my parents' farm. They live about 20 minutes away from me and in their retirement live on a farm. And my dad's still part-time. So the company called McFadden Digital, and he and Tom McFadden, the CEO, were on the phone talking about NIL and McFadden said, is this anything we should know about? My dad being the naysayer that he is, uh, ex-Oracle guy, so nothing is ever good except for Oracle. said, that's the stupidest idea in the world. It's really dumb. We want nothing to do with it. So I emailed Tom and said, Hey, this is actually something that could be big. I'd like to talk about this project and what we could do. And Tom invited me graciously to be involved in a project he was sponsoring at Dartmouth university with their Tuck school of business or Dartmouth college, I should say. And the Tuck MBA students were researching name, image and likeness, but also NFTs, which I'm relatively new to, I've got some background in fintech and, and knew a little bit about blockchain, but didn't know much about NFTs. But after a semester of advising these students, one of the students and I um, decided this is something we should start into a company. And at first, what we were doing was basically allowing any student athlete to create NFTs. The problem is student athletes were herding cats. So we've narrowed our focus to two sports, baseball and hockey. The reason why we picked those two is baseball and hockey players can get drafted out of high school and then still go to college. So you see a lot of players in baseball go to college. They The team relinquishes their draft rights, but you know at that point they're a prospect. There's a chance they're going to get drafted again. With hockey players, the team actually maintains their rights. And hockey is one of the sports in college that's popular but wasn't getting a lot of attention in NIL, mostly because the players have advisors. They're not really agents, they're advisors. And we now have, an, as an advisor to our company, a former NHL agent who knows a bunch of these guys and really push us in that direction. It's a really cool sport. So what we do pretty simply is we lazy mint NFTs for student athletes. They sell them and they keep seventy five percent of the proceeds of any sale.
0: Oh, nice. So, so explain that a little bit. Of like when you say you create NFTs, you know, for you know they're relatively new, as you mentioned. Tom is like so. There's a right. couple people probably listening in that are like. Well, what is that tangibly? Like we, we know that NFT is a non-fungible token, but like, what does that look like, feel like? How would, How do you go about purchasing, trading, like all of that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, how, what is that tangibly? It's nothing tangibly. It's non-tangible. It's non-fungible. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I've wondered why, you know, we don't use the term fungible goods more. Um, but really what it is, is it's a digital trading card in the purpose we're using it, where it's a collectible that's generally an image uh, You can do videos and and GIFs and other things of these student-athletes. And what we really seek to do is make it as easy for the student-athlete as possible. The technology behind creating an NFT, it's somewhat complex, but it's easy in practice. In other words, once you know how to do it or have a system to do it, it's not hard to create. The bigger issue is, is how do people interact with NFTs? Are they people who have a crypto wallet and are really into cryptocurrency and want to to live in the metaverse or are they people who say i don't know what an nft is but i want to support the student athlete so i just want to play with a debit or credit card so we've made both ends of the transaction really easy and what they get is a unique version of a essentially a digital trading card although we can make non-unique ones and we can do pack drops and things like that but the idea really is taking the nft technology off the table and saying this is a cool new thing it's a great trend it's very marketable and a lot of young people who are in the cohort of student athletes want to create NFTs, but really saying it's a great way for those who want to support the student athlete to put money in their pocket in a way that's not a lot required. You know, if they have an endorsement with Monster Energy Drink, you can buy a lot of Monster Energy Drink and that student athlete will theoretically get paid. But how much Monster do you really want to drink, right? Or if you're doing some of the other things like camps and clinics, if I'm a, fa- a fan, I can't really go to a camp or clinic. My kids might. And for me as an alumni, I would love to find a way to put more money in the pocket of student athletes being a D3 guy where there aren't scholarships and we know that our school is expensive. So when kids come here, they're making a pretty big financial strain to begin with. The more we can ease that strain, the better.
0: Yeah, that's great. So creating NFTs. So I'm curious of like uh, talking with a lot of entrepreneurs, it's really interesting and fascinating their their origin stories. So it's cool to hear like how the idea came about. Now a question is like, so we we heard the idea, how it came about, but how did you end up going from because it sounds like you have some core technologies to actually create these NFTs? And it's like, how did you the space between idea, like this is the idea to the space of hey, we we have a way, a technological way of creating and generating these? Is was there any testing that was in between? Like how did you end up in that awkward teenager startup phase, which I'm sure you're still in, but like in that earlier days of like how did you end up testing to see if this was something that's worth embarking on?
1: So we had we had two advantages that I've never had as an entrepreneur before. Um, the first advantage was from the business side, researching and testing it, these Dartmouth MBA students and the student Vlad who continued along with us, in fact is doing his MBA thesis or whatever the equivalent of a thesis is on this and continued to so Dartmouth College you know talk has continued to support us in some way at least academically. So that was a big help because that's a tool that most people would love to have that they don't have. And they were that original study was sponsored by McFadden Digital and the Platform Strategy Institute and their professor, Dr. Peter Evans, who's an expert in NFTs and a great guy. So Peter may come on as an advisor. Tom McFadden is an advisor. The technology itself, we again lucked out in that because McFadden was involved and I have a relationship with them. Um, They took an equity position. It wasn't as easy as, hey, we're going to give, new technology exchange for equity, there was some grumbling in between, but um, we've become better as a result of that. So they, they're a pretty big equity holder. They're also great advisors to us and helping us. They've been through this battle before and no marketplaces, platforms, e-commerce, however you want to define that. So we have some great technologists behind us. And then I, as a core team, we have a CTO who really manages the project. And he's the same way. He's been through some projects before, and he's got a pretty good background and was able to help us with that. So really, at this point, we've taken in very little capital. We're bootstrapped. We are doing a small capital raise just to go for our go-to-market strategy. And we have really relied on, I, I found some crackerjack interns. I won't lie, we didn't have to interview too hard. We found great ones right away. And one of them, she's a softball player at Calvin University here in Grand Rapids is just, her name's Grace Glass. She's just amazing um, and has come in and really hit the ground running, working hard. And the other one, uh, Jonah Spates. Jonah plays football at Kalamazoo College and actually went to the same high school I did. So we'll have double alma the together. And Jonah's the same way. He just started because they're on the quarter system. But they've come in 20 hours a week and overperformed and really been sponges. They, as student athletes, wanted to learn this market and wanted to invest time and energy into it. So for us, there's two really difficult components. One is getting student athletes to show up and provide us content. Um, Jonah and Grace have accelerated that process because, as a 42 year old guy, when I reach out to like a female athlete, they're like, "Who's this creep?" But um, when Grace does it or Jonah, it seems more in kind. And really, we've found that that's not the getting them to say I want to participate isn't hard. What's hard is getting Instagram worthy or good photos that can be turned into NFTs, especially at schools where they're not big time programs. Mm -hmm. Um, the other side of the market is getting people to buy and we're really in that phase of the game is now let's market this and go live. Our biggest cohort so far is baseball players and we're going to do something live with the college world series. We did a beta Mm -hmm. run with March madness and it was relatively successful. We actually got some traction the way we thought we would with smaller school basketball teams. So what we found is it's affinity groups like alumni, fans, people who already know the student athlete and then their social media network. and also young fans who are already buying like digital Pokemon cards and things like that. And one of the cool things we've done is create, I won't describe them too much, but they're really cool versions of a hockey player that are really tradable that kids like. And we want kids to be saying to their mom and dad, buy this for me. I want a bunch of these. I love the hockey team at Michigan state or whoever it is. Um, the other big thing that we've really done a good job of testing is again, by picking select sports, where to go. And we've really researched that and we found that women's sports, um, softball and women's hockey have been very receptive so far and they're great from a following standpoint. Their fans are very passionate and with Title IX being 50 years old and so forth, supporting and propping up student female student athletes is very important and it's been a very successful uh, as far as getting that message out. Now we have to go sell a bunch of them. I mean, honestly, I I hate answering that question because we had so many advantages but I think that's the thing about being a, I, what I say is I've been doing this for about a decade. After a decade, you have the relationships where you can tap into some of those things. So if you're a first-time entrepreneur, you probably won't have these advantages. Um, But eventually, lucky yes. bounces come with hard work and networking and sticking with it.
0: <laughs> yes. No, that's great. So it sounds like you've built a great team that has really helped build this first bootstrap to your words, you bootstrap this first version in there. I, one of the things I'm really curious about too is, what it, what it feels like Tom is that you also have really a, a two-sided marketplace right you you have a chicken in an the egg situation so how did you guys address this chicken in the egg or how are you or maybe you're still exploring that of that chicken in the egg where you've got student athletes on this side you almost needing to I don't want to say convince but uh, do a little bit of salesmanship right because' articulating this is this is what we're, lo- we're looking to do do you want to be a part of it and then the other side of it is people actually wanting those nfts. Right. Um, and, and trading and buying.
1: Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, the chicken before the egg is a great thing because when you have a marketplace, if there's nothing there, no one's going to come. Yes. And, uh, that I think is really key. The other thing is with the student athletes, it's not hard. It's, is it salesmanship? Yes. What you have to convince them of is this is easy and we'll make it so easy for right. you that you don't have to think because every minute of your day is already pre planned. The second side of that is then they want to know, are these going to sell? So what what it is, is the bigger the athlete, the more questions they're going to ask about, is this going to mm-hmm. sell? How are you going to help me market it? So then we have to create content for them to market themselves and, and put on their social channels. So there are some things about NIL that these athletes know and some that they don't know. And if they don't know what they're talking about, we're really holding their hands early on. That's the other reason why working with somebody who already has an advisor or agent is great because they've got a person they're theoretically paying or benefiting from uh helping them and holding their hand. What I would then say is on the other end, once you've got the marketplace or once you've got that side of it, people will show up and support this. Then the question is, do people really get NFTs or do they care about that side of the story? So one of the things we've been really cautious about is let's not talk too techy to people. Let's mm. make sure that we're talking to them in a... Way that says this is easy, you're just buying something to support the student athlete. And honestly, like if someone's grandmother is buying this with a debit card, she probably doesn't care that she has an NFT. Um, the other, <laughs> there is actually a third side, which is creators, and by creators, I mean people like photographers and so forth who might be at events and might work with student athletes and say, Hey, I took a good shot of you. I'd love to make this into a, a, an NFT. Would you be so game? And how do we make it easy for them as well? We're not quite there yet, but we've mm-hmm. got some work to do on that side. Um, and the marketplace isn't actually launched yet. So we're, we're in the chicken and chicken and egg place where we looked at the site and said, if there's not any inventory, it just looks bad. It looks like nothing's happened on it. So, you know, like any good entrepreneur, you want that inventory there and you want the site looking like a a place where stuff has happened and will continue to happen. So,
0: yes. So, so you're in your chicken and egg situation, you've really concentrated, which makes a lot of sense. You concentrate on the inventory, making sure that when someone visits the marketplace there's actually something there to purchase and buy and trade and all that good stuff of nfts right yeah
1: and what we found you know that's one of the interesting things with nil is that a lot of fans and other people are looking at this saying i'd love to participate and help the student athletes i just don't know how and we want to make that we want to make it so it's available and then they can say oh this is an easy way to do this like it's great you know i know a transaction is done so yeah yeah
0: what would you say some some really scrappy and bootstrappy things you guys have had to do and learn through this process? And, and what have the been, been the biggest learnings, would you say, of like, there has there been aha moments of like, oh my gosh, like we were headed down this way and either it was a 180 or it was like even a slight pivot, like, oh, we, we need yep. a pivot.
1: Yeah, I mean, three things. Um, number one, we had an investor pull out. Um, mm-hmm. So when you suddenly can't pay your bills and you're going to people beg, borrow, and steal, uh, please help us. So we had to learn grit, bootstrappiness, and be open to saying, okay, you've done something for us. That's really great. So we're going to give you equity. And at the end of the day, if we believe in the company, then that's okay. Um, I hate that, but that's life, right? And the equity, the people coming in are worth it, right? So it's, it's made sense. I think the second thing to, that I would say is really be open to when you're looking at something, there's a danger in getting too excited and trying to build too big of a market that you can't build and sustain. And we started out really wide and then we narrowed. And we've actually had some people say that narrowing is really stupid. Well, guess what? We've had a lot more people say that's really smart. And so when you talk to people and they say, when I first talked to you, you were way too wide, now you've narrowed. And that's the difficulty of being an entrepreneur is you wanna take a huge slice and you wanna have this big percentage of the market share and all that stuff. And then when you do the numbers and you say somebody who actually knows finance sits down with you and says, if you pivot and do this, you can make a great company here and you don't have to have that huge of a market share and the barriers are a lot lower. And by the way, if you knock it out of the park, you'll get to that point. Um, so don't, don't build a hockey stick where it doesn't exist or doesn't need to exist. Um, I think the third thing is, is that go finding people that are already in your market and know the space and really, really are passionate about what they're doing. Um, every other company I've built in the past has been like, it's a cool concept. We weren't doing it uneducated. But now we're this time we actually are surrounding ourselves. Like my interns, we sit and talk sports when we're not working. And Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Like that we can have those conversations and they really care about this and they're living this NIL story themselves. So it's not we're talking to people that this impacts. And we're talking to an NHL agent who says, I talked to college hockey players. This is what they're this is what this means for them. We've talked to baseball players that said, Look, college world series is coming up. This is what's important for me. You know? So that's that's really something I would say. That for the first time, I, I look, I was the first startup I was with was a fintech. I love fintech. I'm passionate about it, but if told someone said, you're never going to work in fintech again. I probably wouldn't cry. If someone said you can never be involved in sports again, I'd probably be pretty upset. So, <laughs> and also the last thing I would toss in there is this is something where I think my passion, this is probably the last startup I'll ever do. I'm just too mm-hmm. old and too too married with too many kids and mortgages <laughs> and stuff to, to do it again. And so I want to make sure I would say the biggest thing for me is what I've learned from my past failures and past mistakes, which is sometimes you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So shut up and listen twice as much as you talk um, and listen, not just to people that are trying to help you, but people who don't seem to be helping you because sometimes they're telling you things that seem less than helpful, but they're true. Um, but also listening to the market, listening to what people are talking about. And I would say in name, image, and likeness, that's been one big thing is people not listening to student athletes and saying, well, what do you guys really want? It's been a lot of, well, this is what this should look like. And they're kind of going, eh, not really. So (laughs) no thanks. How can we be the guys that listen and make it easy and fun and something they want to do?
0: Those are some great, great nuggets of advice. That's, and I think your, your strategy is really smart of, I mean, if you just look at, any like apps, right? Facebook didn't say we're going to take the entire market, right? They said we're right. starting at a college and then rolling out to other colleges, right? So it's it's a similar strategy where it's like, let's niche down, start somewhere small, and then we can work bigger once we make an impact here. So that right. seems very, very smart. If you were to look over your entire career, because you you had mentioned at the tail end of this Nugget when I talked about what are some pivots you've had to do, or what are some learnings you've had to do? If you could start your entire career over again with three things, takeaways from your older, wiser self, what would those be?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, which career? Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I, I actually, when I was in law school, worked as a prosecutor. And to this day, I'm like, should I have ever just been a prosecutor and just gone after that and made no money, but had a really great life in Chicago? going after uh, street gangs and stuff. Um, you know, the one thing I would say is take advantage of opportunities. I think one of the things that I has become vogue is saying no as often as possible. Um, that's great. As long as you're not saying no to opportunities that really are good. And when you, what I mean by that is sit back and really think about what something means and what is, is going to go place or help you go places. And who are you with? Um, The second thing I would say is really spending time. Um, I'm in therapy right now. I went through a really bad time mental health wise. Spend time in your mental health and make yeah. sure that you're always, um th- that seems somewhat selfish, but it'll make everyone around you happier. It'll make you happier and it'll make you more successful. So make sure you're spending time not being one of these 24 seven constantly churning entrepreneur people. There's no pride in that. There just isn't. Yeah. And I know that that's a lot of people think that and having Calendly schedule them and do all that stuff. Well, that's great, but be a person. And part of being a person is having the proper mental health and having friends and family and people around you have, know that you have proper mental health and care about you. So that seems like a bit of a generic advice, but it's, it's key. Um, the last thing I would say is when it comes to what you're doing, really do spend time on things you're passionate about. And obviously I know the easy answer to that is, well, then nobody would be a ditch digger. I get it. But like figure out why you're doing what you're doing and not in the Simon Cynic, what is your why kind of way, but for you personally, like not in a cheesy way, really why, why do you get up? Like what, what motivates you and what inspires you? And that, that will keep you going a lot longer than a cool piece of tech or whatever. And I look at a lot of tech entrepreneurs who built like the next piece of MarTech or some terrible CRM system. And it's like, they didn't build that because they love CRM. They built it because they saw a problem they got passionate about solving it. And they knew that it was a means to an end for where they wanted to go in life. Yeah.
0: No, those are super solid pieces of advice, especially, you know, I I like all three of them, but one that stakes out to me is too often in the entrepreneurial community, we reward working nonstop, right? We reward those that are just Continuing to sacrifice everything for the sake of this business. I mean, you look around you and that's kind of like praised of like, this is what an entrepreneur is. It's part of the definition versus saying they're a person, which I love what you said, Tom. It's like they're a person, focus on your own mental health. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Not for, it's refreshing because not for any people get to that point. Yeah.
1: I'm like the anti 24 seven guy. There's so many tropes out there right now. And I look at some of these people that have bought into it and, Yeah, if you're Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Mark Cuban and you just have that energy and that personality, so be it. But most people don't. And I think a lot of people don't want to admit who they are. And um, yeah, it's just funny when I meet people and they're in that 24-7 mode and you're like, you're going to burn. You're going to just crash and burn at some point. And yeah.
0: So what's next? And when can we look for the, you said the marketplace isn't there yet. It's going to be launching for College
1: World Series. So that's our big next thing. Um, and what's next after that is like going hardcore into the hockey market. We've got a couple other exciting things that I'm not ready to reveal yet, but, um, that's our big stuff. And then for me, it's, um, you know, running this for as long as I can. And then diving into my life goal is to keep working with college entrepreneurs and helping them, um, not just be entrepreneurs, but also use those skills to be better employees, whatever job they get in life. So I love what I'm doing at at Grand Valley and, um, hope to keep doing things like that. That's awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, Tom, I really appreciate your time today and uh, talking about your startup. It's really exciting stuff. So uh, I appreciate all the all and all the all the work you're putting into it at Grand Valley with all the different entrepreneurs. I'm sure they very much appreciate that.
1: Well, I hope so. them while we're asleep, it's all for them. So not yes. for me. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks for your time again, Tom. Yep. Have a good one. You too. Bye now.